So before we read that, I'm going to pray that God will open our hearts to the words that we're going to read. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we um, just come before you. We pray, Lord, that you quieten our hearts. We pray that you help us focus on the words that you're saying to us through scripture. We pray that we open our hearts to what you have to say. Pray, Lord, that you open our eyes to the need for a saviour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who was born the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chiefs, priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will become a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realised that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Thanks, Jack. Thank you, uh, Ed, and uh, good morning, everyone. It's great to uh, great to see you all, uh, and to be here with you on the at the branch on this glorious Christmas day. And uh, as you can see from our reading, it's the events of Christmas the birth of Jesus that we're going to be focusing on together today. But uh, before we do, let me lead you in a moment of prayer. Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much for this most precious gift of your word. Uh, Lord, we know that without it, we would be totally lost. We would not know you and we would not be saved. But Father, it is through your word that you have revealed yourself to us 
You have revealed the truth about this world in which we live, the truth about us and our own lives, and most importantly, the truth about the Saviour who you have sent. And uh, Lord, we thank you that we can remember that again this Christmas. And so, Lord, we pray for your blessing on us now as we consider your word. We pray that uh, you would speak to us through it uh, by your Holy Spirit. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, we're going to start by watching a very short video. How the Grinch Stole Christmas by Dr. Seuss. <laughs> Every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot. But the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Now please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be, perhaps, that his shoes were too tight. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. There's a lot more to the story than that, but we'll leave it there for this morning. But uh, I'm sure that most, if not all of you, have uh, heard of this fictional character called the Grinch. He was actually created by Dr. Zeus and first appeared way back in 1957 in the famous children's book, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And since then, the, his popularity has been revived through the movie starring Jim Carrey in the year 2000 and also the animated version of it uh, starring Benedict Cumberbatch in 2018. However, as you've just seen, the most notable thing about the Grinch, the thing that made him stand out from the crowd was that he absolutely hated Christmas. For he lived, as we heard, near a town called Whoville, where all the residents, they just loved to celebrate this festive season. They would give each other gifts, they would have a great feast, and they would sing and sing and sing. But the Grinch, well, he just couldn't stand it. And so he desperately tried to ruin it for everyone else. But he wasn't the first one to hate Christmas, was he? For in our passage from Matthew, we actually meet someone else who, who stands out from the crowd. Someone else who just couldn't bear that very first festive season. For you see, when Jesus, the Messiah, the very Son of God, was born into our world, overall it was a time of great happiness. Maybe some of you remember Zechariah and Elizabeth who were overjoyed because their son, John the Baptist, would prepare the way for Jesus' coming. There was Mary and Joseph, who rejoiced when they realised their child would be the saviour of the world. 
Do you remember how the angels praised and worshipped God as they announced the good news of the baby who had been born? And what about the shepherds, the shepherds who glorified the Lord when they heard that wonderful message? And there was also Simeon, right here, and Anna also, who both saw the baby at the temple. And they were just filled with thanksgiving because they knew that God's promises had finally been fulfilled. And here, right here in the passage that Ed just read for us, there's the Magi, those wise men from the east coming such a long way to worship the infant in Bethlehem. Overall, it was a, a time of celebration and of rejoicing and of gladness. But yet right in the midst of it all, we find one individual who is very, very different to the rest. Now, you won't ever find this man pictured in your Christmas cards or in your nativity scenes. You can have a look when you go home, but I assure you he won't be there. You won't ever hear him mentioned in any of our Christmas carols. But yet here he is, right in the middle of the action. And he is, in fact, you could say, the most prominent character in the passage that we're looking at today. And so who are we talking about? We're, of course, talking about King Herod. Matthew 2 begins with the Magi coming to Jerusalem looking for baby Jesus. But verse 3 says, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When Herod heard about Jesus' birth, he wasn't happy like all the others, but he was troubled and he was upset. And all Jerusalem with him, it says, they weren't disturbed so much because, because of Jesus, but they were disturbed because Herod was disturbed. They knew that when this man got upset that everybody was going to suffer. But I want to ask you this morning, have you ever wondered just why it is that King Herod was so unhappy and so distressed just because a little baby had been born? Have you ever wondered why he was so troubled, even to the point of wanting to murder that child and ultimately committing mass infanticide in his attempt to do so? Have you ever wondered why, like the Grinch, this man so vehemently hated Christmas. Well, unlike the Grinch, we do know the reason. And it wasn't because his heart was two sizes too small. It was because his pride was two sizes too big. But to really understand that, we need to know a little bit more about this man and the times that he was living in. You see, way back in the 6th century BC, the people of God, the remaining nation of Israel, they were defeated by the Babylonian Empire who carried the people off into exile. But later, the Babylonians were taken over by the Persian Empire and they allowed the remaining Jews to go back to their own land. But they remained under foreign occupation. Later still, the Persians were defeated by the Greek Empire. And during their time, a large number of Jews broke free and gained their independence one more, once more. But then in 146 BC, the Greeks, they were defeated by the Roman Empire. 
And eventually, after some time, the Romans recaptured this Jewish territory and they brought the people back under their own oppressive regime. And so the Jews, were, they were again living in occupied territory, ruled by a foreign power, ruled over by their own enemies. And as a result, the Romans needed to put someone in charge who could keep them all under control. And in 37 BC, the person they put in charge was Herod, known as Herod the Great. Herod was an associate of Julius Caesar. He was a close friend of Mark Antony. And he was appointed by Rome to be the king of the Jews. In many ways, Herod was a great leader and his accomplishments were many. He built a magnificent palace in Jerusalem. He built impressive monuments and theatres and harbours and fortresses and so on. His greatest project was in fact the rebuilding of the Jewish temple. But at the very same time, Herod was a terrible leader because he was utterly consumed with his own ego. He was so fond of himself and his own achievements and his own kingdom that he'd become incredibly paranoid. He was on constant guard for anyone who he perceived as a threat and he'd go to any length in order to deal with them. So history tells us that as a result he killed one of his own wives, Miramni, and also three of his own sons. He killed his mother-in-law, he killed his brother-in-law, he killed his uncle, he killed many Jewish leaders, both political and religious, anyone at all who he felt was opposing him. But this helps us to understand what's going on in our text for we're told in verses 1 and 2 that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. You see, the Magi, they weren't looking for any old baby, were they? They were looking for the one born king of the Jews. But can you imagine Herod's reaction to that? For he himself, he was the king of the Jews, not some baby born in the, the back blocks of Bethlehem. It, if there was any worshipping to be done, Herod knew it should be him who should be worshipped. And so I guess anyone in his position would have been concerned about this news, but, but then add to that his pride and his paranoia. And we quickly see how the arrival of these magi caused him to be greatly disturbed. And so what did he do? He made a plan, a plan to get this Jesus out of his life, to murder this rival to his throne. He starts in verse 4 by calling together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law and asking them where the Messiah was to be born. He knew that the Jews that he ruled over were waiting for a Messiah, a king who would deliver them. And so he subtly inquired as to where that king would be born. And they naively told him, quoting from Micah, 
In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So having determined where the child was, he next sought to determine when the child was born. We're told, verse 7, that he called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And verse 16 tells us that the answer was clearly a date within the last two years. So armed with this information, he then plotted a way to lay his hands on Jesus. Verse 8, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. And thus his devious scheme was set in motion. But then there was a problem. For while the Magi located Jesus, verse 12 says that having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And in verse 13, we're told when they'd gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child, not to worship him, but to kill him. And that's exactly what Mary and Joseph did. Staying in Egypt until Herod died, thus saving Jesus' life and fulfilling the words of the prophet Hosea, out of Egypt I called my son. But Herod didn't know of their escape and so there's one last tragic twist to this story. Verse 16, when Herod realised that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. And this too, we're told, was fulfilment of prophecy, of the words of Jeremiah. And so, in his, in his arrogant rage, King Herod slaughtered every infant boy in the region of Bethlehem. There must have been dozens of them at the very least. Can you imagine how tragic and how terrible this must have been? But my friends, this reveals to us just how far this evil, wicked man was willing to go to protect his own power and position, to protect his throne, to protect his precious kingdom. This shows us the enormity of his pride and his arrogance, just how deeply disturbed he was at the birth of Jesus, just how much he truly hated Christmas. But friends, we need to ask ourselves, what can we learn from these verses? What is God's message to us in this today? Well, the thing we need to understand is that Herod is not actually all that different to us. For while we may not be kings ruling over a vast nation, just like him, we do all have a kingdom. Every single one of us has a realm over which we seek to rule 
and exert influence, that makes us feel important and powerful, that provides us with pleasure and purpose. Every single one of us has a small part of this world which we seek to protect and to control. The boundaries of our kingdom are basically the parameters of our own life and everything that it consists of. Your kingdom includes your family, your children, your friendships. It includes your home and your possessions and your money, your daily work, your business, your study. It includes your leisure and your holidays and your hobbies. It includes your ministries and your part in this church. It includes your image and your reputation, your values, your opinions and your motivations, your desires, your priorities and your plans for the future. Every single one of us has a kingdom over which we rule. And just like Herod, we can be so very fond of what we have, of this life that we have set up for ourselves. But just like Herod, our kingdom is under threat. For you see, my friends, when Jesus was born into this world all those years ago, he most certainly came to be our redeemer, our rescuer, our saviour. Matthew 1 verse 21, the angel said, you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. And so we need to remember this morning that Jesus is God's solution to our most fundamental problem. He is the one who came to free us from the curse of sin and of death and of hell, to reconcile us to our loving creator, to give us the life we were always made for here on earth and to open the door to, the, to eternal joy in heaven. And how did he do that? Through his perfect, righteous life and his painful, sacrificial death. For my friends, it was on the cross that Jesus took our place and purchased our salvation. And all we need do is to put our faith in him. And I truly hope that if you're here this morning that you have done that, that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, for he is our only saviour, our only rescuer, our only redeemer, the only one who can make us right with our God, the only one who opens the door to heaven and eternal life. But what we need to understand today is that he also came to be our king. That's why in Matthew chapter 1, there's a genealogy there of Jesus, but it's a genealogy, at least in part, of royalty. That's why in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus begins his ministry proclaiming the good news of what? Of salvation? Well, yes, but it says he came proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. That's why in the Sermon on the Mount, he preaches the laws and the, and the values of his kingdom. My friends, that's why in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus enters Jerusalem in a royal procession, fulfilling the words of Zechariah. See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey. That's why in Matthew 27, his, his criminal conviction was for claiming to be king. 
And he was mocked, wasn't he, with the homage and the, and the robe and even the crown of a king. And ultimately he was crucified under a sign which said, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. When Jesus Christ was born, he came to be our saviour and our king. But this is more than just words. This is more than just a, a cliché. This truth has enormous implications for every one of us. For if Jesus truly is our Lord and King, then we must submit to his rule. We must worship him. We must surrender every part of our life to him. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus himself says this, Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life, well, they will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake, well, they will find it. My friends, if Jesus truly is king, then we absolutely must enthrone him in our own hearts and in our own lives. We need to stop trusting in ourselves and we need to put all our hope in him. We need to stop living for ourselves and give our lives to him. We need to stop chasing our own priorities and put him first in all that we do. If Jesus is king, then he rules over our families and our homes. He rules over our spending and our spare time. He rules over our attitudes and our opinions. He rules over our decisions and our desires. If Jesus truly is Lord and King, then we need to climb down off our own thrones and we need to put him in his rightful place. But then the question is, will we? For there are plenty of people in this world, aren't there, who are just like Herod. They're so fond of their own kingdoms, so enamoured by what they have built, so full of ego and pride that they will do anything to protect what they have. And so they want Jesus to stay right out of it. And they'll do whatever they can to keep him away. And so like Herod, when they hear the Christmas message, not the, not the world's Christmas message, but the true Christmas message, about the arrival of God's king, well, it leaves them feeling disturbed. But what about us? Is it possible, my friends, that we are still clinging to our earthly kingdoms? Perhaps you, you, perhaps you like the idea of Jesus, but you just want to keep him at a distance. Perhaps you're happy for him to save you, but you're not so sure about him ruling over you. And so we better not disturb my comfort and my leisure. That's all for me. Uh, you better not think he's more important than my family and my, and my friends because they come first in my life. He better not interfere with my career ambitions. He better not think he's going to touch my money. He better not th expect to take up too much of my time. 
I wonder, my friends, are there things in your life that you still love more than Jesus Christ, that you serve and value and cling to more than him? My friends, I ask you this morning, is there something in your life that prevents you from truly enthroning Jesus as the Lord of your life? If so, then I want to urge you to reconsider today. Because Jesus is not just any king. He's not like the kings we see in this world. No, he is the perfect king. He is the king who paid the highest price to save us from our sin and to give us life everlasting. But God's king, he demands a response. He cannot be ignored. How crazy it would be to act like Herod, to madly hold on to a fleeting earthly kingdom while all the while forfeiting a glorious heavenly one. How crazy it would be to let your pride get in the way of eternal life. And so I urge you instead to to respond like those magi who came from the east. For when they learned of Jesus' birth, they left everything to go and to find him. And verses 10 and 11 tell us when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and they worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold and of frankincense and of myrrh. Ah, friends, let's not be like Herod or the Grinch, for that matter. While we all will enjoy the festivities, let's not hate the true message of Christmas. Let us embrace it. Let us rejoice in it. Let us love it with all our hearts. For this is the time to remember the coming of our Saviour and our Lord. So let us celebrate And let us be glad, let us praise and let us worship, let us give Jesus our very best. Let us give him our all as we seek to enthrone him as king over every part of our lives. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we don't too often think about Herod, a man who so highly valued his own earthly kingdom and and sought to protect it at all costs. And yet in doing so, he rejected and in fact hated your own son, the one you had sent in love and in grace for the sake of salvation. Lord, help us not to be like this man, but rather to, to recognize Jesus for who he really is, Help us to overcome our own pride and selfishness and instead to be willing to devote our lives to our Saviour, to our King. Father, may we be a people who love, trust and worship Jesus Christ and are willing to leave everything else behind in order to follow him. Lord, we pray today, help us to be more like those magi, giving Jesus our very best knowing that he has already given us so much more. And Father, as we do that this Christmas, 
May we, as a result, experience the deepest joy of serving our King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll hand over, back over to Ed.